Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson, episode number 194. Well, just ahead, Jack in the Box weathering both food and labor inflation quite well. And Agilent selling some interesting devices to industries you wouldn't expect. And Logitech International struggling from a post-COVID gadget binge hangover. But what next? I talked to Logitech CEO Bracken Darrell. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's Era, A I E R A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast in any of your favorite podcast platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, uh, TuneIn. But hey, hit the subscribe button, follow us, and catch every show. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind some stocks that are on the move. And boy, these stocks are moving today. Isaac Webster joining me as executive producer and our companion on the journey we're about to embark on. Isaac, how are you? I just love this weekly journey we take. Hey, I'm sorry I didn't see you when I was in Los Angeles this weekend, by the way. Well, it's okay. You were busy. It was also monsoon. And so everyone retreated. Oh my God, the weather was... It was it was monsoon. not the poolside weather I'm accustomed to in my Los no, Angeles visits. Cold, cold and rainy. No, not just cold. Snow on the Hollywood yeah. sign. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And hail. You were here for the hail. I flew out of Burbank and there was snow on all the mountains there uh, behind Burbank and north of Burbank. Beautiful. Weird. Yeah, L- LA can be very pretty. It can be pr- really pretty. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? So we're Jack in the Box. Speaking of, well, formerly West Coast brand, Jack in the Box. Uh, Jack in the Box trades under Jack, G-A, G, I mean, J-A-C-K, Jack. Uh, and shares are higher by more than 24% since the start of 2023, but roughly flat if you're looking at a 12-month chart. That's quite a move, 24% in the year. A lot of it uh, in the last couple mm-hmm. of days. Because Jack in the Box reported a fantastic quarter with some interesting growth. And I mentioned the regional uh, nature of that. Let's talk about some of the numbers specifically. Same store sales up 7.8%. Uh, broken down, they've got, so they've got franchise stores and company owned uh, stores. They've got 2000 or so franchise stores with 140 company stores. Company stores did much better. Their, their same store sales were up 12.6%, 7%, percent, 7.4% for the uh, franchise sales, which is say most of their locations, but great uh, growth. Uh, the company operating restaurants uh, grew in in terms of average check and traffic, 
they've got better numbers for the company owned stores. The franchise stores also average check size, all of the uh, increased traffic down a little bit. Their Del Taco brand, which uh, Jack in the Box also owns, same store sales up 3%. So very strong. But what was really interesting, and the reason the business, uh, the stock uh, probably took off, was because uh, the business has changed. The business is expanding, and they're expanding into places where they have laid the groundwork for further expansion, particularly in the South, and particularly in Florida, in Arkansas, both for the Jack in the Box franchise and for Del Taco uh, again, they've set up their distribution networks. They've set up uh, the areas where they're going to uh, uh, sort of infill their franchises. And CEO Dan Harris is very excited. The way I think about it, what, one, let's just talk about Florida and Arkansas. We're, we're incredibly excited about the strategies we put in place to expand Jack's reach. And, you know, as we've shared many times, our focus was getting our existing franchisees moving forward, optimizing the system, you know, doing the things we need to do to prepare them for growth. And now we're starting to attract the new franchisees as we switched our, our focus. So long story short is we think this is part of the turning point that we've been talking about for the last couple of years is, is focusing on how do we return to net unit growth on a consistent basis. You know, um, we continue to remind um, our, our share holder community and, and all of our investors that, you know, development agreements are a lead indicator for preparing a pipeline, and, and Jack has added 72 agreements for the 303 restaurants, and, and now we're measuring that with Dell, and Dell has done a nice job um, on our teams there at adding, you know, 14 agreements for 91 restaurants. And so I think this is part of the story that we've been saying is there's lead indicators here that are point, pointing to the future. So that's a lot of new restaurants. Again, you're going to add uh, 303 restaurants for Jack in the Box on top of the 2,000 or so they've already got. That's a pretty substantial uh, increase in the number of stores, uh, and that's going to mean a lot more revenues for Jack in the Box. And then you add to that the same store sales numbers increasing, not just the number of stores. Uh, that's uh, uh, certainly positive momentum for Jack in the Box and a fine meal, I might add. Well, that was my question. I mean, is it? I I have never eaten there, but I mean, I these sales numbers are. Um, I don't know. But these sales numbers. I mean, how are they bringing people in the door? What What is their pitch? Well, their what ads are, are fantastic, I think. Their ads are fun. Their ads are fun. And they're I super feel clever. Like I've seen so one recently, part but... Of, part of the shtick with the with the, the bobblehead, or the, the jack with the giant yeah. uh, uh, dome, is you can't see his lips move. Well, what that means is they can time the, the actual script really... They can shoot the ad visually, mm. but they can voice mm. it over uh, right before it goes on the air. So they can time it for the releases of new products. They can test products right up to the point where they, they get them out the door. And any kind of new releases, price changes, whatever they want to promote, they can change that at the last minute because you can't see the lips move for the character who's going to announce the actual product and the cost of that product. Uh, it's, it's brilliantly done uh, and fits in well with their business model. Yeah, the marketing team must be very happy over there. Oh, you couldn't see my lips move. I was just talking like the... Jack in the Box character, but on a podcast, uh, I did, wait, let me try again. Yeah, still not working. Okay, uh, we won't yeah. do that in a podcast in the future, but I just, uh, you know, uh, for Jack in the Box, that business model works. Corey, what is your next drill down? Agilent. Let's talk about Agilent. Agilent, one of our former guests here, trades under A, and Agilent shares have dropped 8%, over 8% since the start of 2023. 
but have gained almost 4% a year. So Agilent, uh, probably best known for the life science tools, uh, to billion dollar business uh, in, the, in the last quarter, which I just reported. Um, uh, and, you know, it's well known for their laboratory workflow stuff, big machines, software to, to help laboratories run their, their labs. Um, uh, and they've continued to see great growth in the top line that has continued past COVID. But interestingly, they're seeing a lot of growth in their atomic spectrometry business. Atomic spectrometry is essentially a spectrometer that allows them to figure out what the actual components are of uh, some atoms, right, of, of, of uh, down to the atomic level to really understand what you're looking at. Uh, we, Isaac, you and I have spoken recently of mass spectrometers. These atomic spectrometers do essentially the same thing. They try to figure out what something is on a microscopic level. And nothing's more microscopic in our society than semiconductors. So they are seeing expanding business in semiconductor development. Maybe not something you think about when you think of Agilent, you think about life sciences, but those same tools for life sciences are being used in the semiconductor business because semiconductors are just so small. The current 10 nanometer geometry for, um, for semis means these things are thousands of times smaller than they were in the 70s and even 80s. And that reduced scale and the increased density means that they got to get stuff right and it's so much easier for things to go wrong. And the thing that goes wrong, so uh, semiconductor companies talk about yield, right? Which is to say how many chips they get out of, uh, they could get out of a wafer, how many do they actually get out? And the yield is supposed to be well in the 99% uh, range or something, depending on what kind of chips and what the company is. And they're measured on their efficacy or their yield. Well, most often the yield decreases because the actual disk, the actual um, uh, semiconductor disc that goes into the discs are the semis are cut from has some kind of imperfection. And about 50% of the time, 50% of the time I said in English, the, the imperfection in the semiconductor wafer is from some trace metal that got into it. And how could you find a trace metal hmm. before you finish making the wafer? Atomic spectrometry. And that is the business that Agilent is leaning into right now as we've seen an increase in semiconductor manufacturing as we've seen for a long time, but also new semiconductor manufacturing in new places as the global uh, business world starts to look at the risks of chip manufacturing in China and even in Taiwan. We see, uh, of course, the big movement towards manufacturing chips in the U.S., big plants being built uh, throughout the heartland, Texas, Ohio, and, and, and elsewhere, uh, Arizona. Um, here is the uh, person responsible for that business within Agilent, Jacob Thyssen, he's the Senior VP uh, of Life Sciences and Applied Markets, talking in the most recent conference call about the semiconductor business. I would say we have the strongest uh, portfolio in atomic spectroscopy for, for this market in, in semi, but generally speaking in material science. And uh, we, we continue to see demand from the semicon industry, both in the fabs, but also in the upstreams for all the fine chemicals that goes into the fabs. Um, they require the same level of QC testing like uh, they do in the labs, and hence they are using the same instruments. So we see a lot of, of benefits, both when there's new uh, fabs built, but also for the continuous operation in the fab uh, labs. So we expect this to, to continue uh, for a while. We, of course, see a lot of, of uh, uh, of news uh, around investments into this in, in, in other parts of the world, also particularly in the U.S. Obviously, that will take some time before it uh, um, comes into real play, but uh, we, are, we expect uh, the, the whole uh, semicon market to continue to be an upside force. But uh, 
As I mentioned also, we also see a lot of, of interest in the rest of the materials market, particularly in uh, lithium batteries, uh, where we see a lot of demand, um, not only for our spectroscopy business, but, but really across our broad portfolio where, where um, lithium battery needs both the LCs, the GCs, the spectroscopies, and the LCMS. So we are very excited about that space and see a lot of, of, uh, of continued growth. So I think that's fascinating, Isaac. Some of the biggest, fastest growing places in, our, in the global economy, semiconductors, lithium batteries, Agilent right there to test those raw products to make sure they're getting them right. Yeah, it seems like they are just in the right place at the right time with the right equipment. You wouldn't know it from the performance of the stock, but uh, nonetheless, it's a fascinating story. Corey, what's your next drill down? Well, speaking of former guests, let's talk about a company that has fallen on its face, a long time ago guest of the Drill Down Podcast, Montrose Environmental Group. Montrose Environmental Group. Yeah, this was a good interview with their CEO, a trades under Meg, M-E-G. And M-E-G shares have just plummeted over the past 30 days, dropping 30%, more than 30% over the past 30 days. But um, Meg is only lower by 9% over the past year. But what, is go- what has happened um, over the past 30 days with Montrose Environmental Group? Well, yeah, uh, uh, Montrose Environmental is right back to where it was, or even lower than it was a year ago. Um, yeah. uh, the stock has really been beaten up because the company has been beaten up. Because, as I always say, one can change the fan belt whilst the engine runs, but it's hard. They've been trying to change their business model uh, massively, uh, while they're running the engine and it's fallen, uh, they've, uh, they've had a really hard time. They've fallen on their face here recently. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're, they've got two businesses. Their main business is environmental testing for air quality. Uh, so they, so their companies, they essentially clean up messes or monitor when there's problems in air quality. So they're hired by, uh, uh, trash dumps, right? Waste management centers, power plants, water purification plants, Governments are constantly sending them as our big companies uh, hiring this company to see if they're polluting and seeing what the air quality and water quality is, um, which, you know, as we have more and more chemical spills, what's more in the news than that right now, uh, these guys, you'd think they're seeing a lot more business. But they found a great business accidentally in COVID, in CTEH, Centers for Toxology and Environmental Health, that it turns out were desperately needed during the time of COVID. That business is shrinking. So that business, they grew to $82 million in 2020. In 2021, it was $232 million. But a year later, it was about half that. Now they're saying it's going to be half that again. And indeed, uh, well, it'll be lower. It'll be 20, 30% lower, but could go to zero by the end of this next year. And the notion was they'd use their success from CTEH, from the Centers for Technology, centers for toxology and environmental health and shift that business, take the great profits from that and acquire lots of new environmental testing businesses. So rolling up those environmental testing businesses, buying the little mom and pop shops that are doing environmental testing all over the country, roll them all into one great, big, powerful business. Guess what? It's not big. It's not powerful. It's not good. It's debt ridden with about 166 million in debt and just generating about 21 million a year in cash from their operating business, that's a problem for Montrose Environmental. And you heard the CEO who I so much enjoyed talking to uh, uh, more than a year ago, uh, but uh, maybe maybe dancing around this issue a little bit about this, the declining CTEH business and their inability to spin that up into a, a great big 
constantly growing uh, 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 business for Montrose, excluding CTEH. Here is the CEO, Vijay Mantrapangrada. So just at a macro level, as clients think about ways to deal with uh, various environmental opportunities and challenges, one of those is dealing with um, various incidents that occur due to changes in our climate or um, aging infrastructure. So uh, the macro demand for their services, which is something our clients need, is, is independently very additive. In addition to that, um, because they are the advisors working with incident command when something happens, there is substantive testing work, monitoring work, advisory work, uh, in toxicology and public health impact work, and then downstream remediation work that occurs when something um, uh, unfortunate happens, right? Whether it's a hurricane or a flood or a fire or a derailment. Um, and so as they're helping these communities and helping incident command, um, the Montrose services that flow downstream uh, of those, that initial event um, make it very synergistic. So when we when we talked about maybe two years ago, Stephanie, the one of the early indications of how synergistic it was, we referenced the uh, oil spill in California and how five different Montrose teams deployed alongside CTH to support that client um, doing uh, natural resource damage assessments. Um, monitoring um, uh, in addition to the response. Uh, and that is certainly the case as well with some of the recent um, uh, incidents that have occurred so far at the end of 22 and early part of 23. So yeah, CTEH essentially gone. Uh, the rest of the business not growing that fast. Growing, they're expecting to go from 430 million to about 480 million next year, but not growing anywhere near as fast as they thought it was. Uh, and uh, the business indeed revenues down in 2022 over 2021 uh, and modest growth predicted for the, for a year out from now, um, uh, seeing like a tough times for Montrose Environmental. Maybe you can share some of these charts that we have in our script over your socials so people can see these on charts. On the Twitter. On the I Twitter. I will share with you uh, on my Twitter and on the drill down at drill down pod and my Twitter at Corey TV. We'll share with you a chart that shows you kind of the, the falling CTE business and the barely rising uh, toxicology uh, business, environmental repair business for Montrose Environmental. You can check that out. You can also check out, if you stay tuned, an interview with uh, one of the leading gadget makers in the world, Logitech. Maybe you've got their speakers or their headphones or their gaming equipment or their, or their gaming chairs. Isaac, you should do this show in one of the gaming chairs. So maybe like what if it had a special effect your chair would like vibrate or shake or turn different colors. The haptics. Is it working right now? Yeah, that, that did that work. Sinking feeling. <laughs> I definitely got CEO, a, I've, I've been having Brack a sinking feeling for quite a, quite some time. Yeah. Many of the shows. Brad and Carol, <laughs> my, my old friend, joins us. He often has a sinking feeling when he talks to me, surely. But we have an interesting conversation and a fun one uh, right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. 
Right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined by Bracken Darrell, CEO of Logitech. Uh, Bracken, it's, it's now I can see you. Our listeners, of course, can only hear you, but uh, 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 if they could see you, they would hopefully see you with great uh, web gear from Logitech, with great <laughs> audio from Logitech and gadgets. But I haven't seen you in a long time. I, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw you. I think could it was in the Vanity Fair yeah. conference like five or six years ago. You have a good memory. I think it was probably, yeah, four or five years ago. I think we saw each other like at the, at the buffet or something. Four or five Were, were those knuckleheads named, decided to name me um, an influential person in some way. Oh, and you were, if they you only are. knew what they were doing. Um, uh, <laughs> and you still are. Um, uh, uh, tell me about, uh, so Logitech has been through this incredible, um, uh, hopefully once in a lifetime experience of uh, the pandemic people uh, being forced to work from home and Logitech benefiting from them upgrading their, uh, maybe for the first time, upgrading, just grading, I guess, their, uh, <laughs> their, their cameras, their microphones, their work from home situations, their keyboards, um, and enabling them to uh, do the new kind of work that has become um, technical work uh, in the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and we were, we kind of positioned the company behind these, what we call these big secular trends that were driving categories that we we could or did participate in. We, we did that years ago, way before the pandemic. Those were the video enablement of every room and everywhere. You know, but we, we just thought, you know, gosh, you used to walk into a little huddle room and have a, a little phone in it. And sooner or later, it's going to have video and phone in it and, and a screen. And, the sec- so, and we want to be the video the, and the, the way you interact on that using, using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever in the future would be. The second area was gaming. You know, we, we really believed in gaming, that gaming would become and still do the biggest collection of sports in the world. So we were really well positioned there. And the third one was the, the personal workspace, that space that you, you work around. We just felt like, you know, yeah, everybody's kind of got a computer, but no, nobody has a good enough experience, believe it or not. You know, probably most of the people listening right now don't. So whether it's ergonomics or aesthetics or whatever it is. So those three secular trends are already positioned, pound, not to mention the creator movement, which drives stuff at the desktop. And, uh, and, and, and we really, and then when the pandemic came, all those things accelerated, people started working from home that never had before. They were using a laptop before then suddenly they needed a full setup. So they didn't become, you know, hunchbacks. And then the, the second was the video enablement of rooms became video enablement of individuals. And then later in hybrid rooms. And the third one was, you know, everybody suddenly, you know, gaming became even, even more popular and it became even bigger when kids were trying to find a place to play with their friends and it, it was virtual, it was online and that replaced the playground for a while. So all those things really took off during the pandemic. God, I'm, I'm, you're bringing back my nightmares of having four <laughs> teenagers at home while we were all trying to be online, allegedly taking <laughs> Zoom classes while they were all on TikTok yeah. and or gaming and pretending to be in class while I was trying to uh, launch this podcast. Um, uh, but it's it, some of that stuff persists. And yet when we look at the financial results from Logitech, we can see this, uh, there's an interesting push and pull going on yeah. um, where, um, uh, for example, you know, you, you see a slowdown in people acquiring um, the stuff to, to work from home and to be online at home. And, uh, uh, but maybe a pickup in enterprise, explain to me what's going on and where you're seeing things uh, grow and or pull back. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, our, our business has pulled back a little bit this year. I mean, you know, we were, but I would say overall, it's kind of been really cool to see how little it's pulled back. And I think that's indicative of the second part of your comment, which is, 
you know, the video enablement of rooms, so offices need video. I think everybody's come to the conclusion that some offices are moving faster into what their future structure is going to look like, how many rooms they're going to have, and all that stuff versus desks. But I, everybody seems to have gone, get reached a conclusion. We're a hybrid company. Some people are we're going to work partly from home, partly in the office. That means somebody's not going to be in the office in almost every call if it's a company call. The second thing that's really happened is in the, well, everybody did scramble to get something to work on at home. You know, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I mean, almost nobody really has a really good setup. And if they do, they might have a good setup here, but the one in the office now feels a little inferior because that black plastic thing that was sitting in the office is now maybe if you're lucky, you've got a really cool thing at home because you bought it. Uh, if you don't have a cool thing at home, you need it. And so people are starting to realize, well, I can get, I can get better stuff here. So we're seeing pretty good numbers. I mean, considering it's post-pandemic now, we're seeing pretty good numbers across both of those. And then gaming's this juggernaut that's just not going to let up. I mean, every new cohort, as you know, because you've got teenage kids, every new cohort comes in. And if you're over 50, you don't play games. If you're under, you know, 25, you do. And so the new people flow in and they play games. They keep playing games. So it's just get, the categories are getting bigger and bigger. And what are you seeing right now with that? Because we have seen a little bit of a pullback in gaming. A little bit. You know, we saw a, a pretty solid pullback during the during this last year, you know, the last calendar year. Um, I think our general view is it's probably going to come out of the pullback faster, that category in particular, just because you know, gaming doesn't seem like it's going to ever go away. And, you know, the, the, there's as long as you – this year – this, this calendar year, calendar 23, there are going to be 10 big movie releases that involve video games, you know, kind of like Ready Player One. That just tells you something. So it's part of the culture now. So I think our, our expectation is, you know, gaming is going to be very healthy. Short term, it, it might be a little soft for a while, but it, it's not going to last. What changes that? What, what, what's the, obviously the year-over-year comp from working from home. I'll put the quotes around working. But the yeah. year-over-year comp from being at home and playing more video games. It uh, doesn't look good in 2022, but what changes that into 2023 or 2024? Well, I think the main thing is, you know, that as you clear those comps, you've got a new cohort of, you know, of young people coming into play. And then on top of that, you've got news. You know, we're, a, you know, I don't know if, if your listeners realize this now, but, you know, the, the gaming industry is bigger in, in spectatorship or viewership playing than, than the movie industry. So new releases really have a big impact. You know, the latest uh, Grand Theft Auto will drive our wheel uh, launches. The, 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 the next uh, Xbox uh, release, which is now available, will, will drive our console business. The next upgrade for anything, any new game will come out, will have an impact on our business. So, you know, it's really, and that's a steady stream of things that are, that are happening, you know, wave after wave. I think people who are not familiar with the business would be surprised to know that a maker of consumer electronics, gadgets, what do you want, what do you want to call it? Keyboards and, and, and cameras and lights and, 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 like and, sexy, and whatever. Sexy, amazing things I like to say, but I understand what you're saying. Well, it, it, it's all that. And it's also high margin. I mean, yeah. your gross margins have fallen considerably from the pandemic, from the mid to high 40s to call it mid 30s. Uh, so they're definitely falling, but they're definitely a lot more profitable, I think, than one might expect in this industry. Talk to me about the trajectory of that and what we might expect for Logitech going forward. Yeah, our gross margins last quarter were 37.9%. We were, we, our long-term uh, range or target is 39 to 44%. So we were hit pretty hard by the headwinds of inflation and, um, and a stronger dollar, which depresses our margin short-term because, 
you know, that means all of a sudden you translate all those revenues from Europe, for example, back at a lower price of the dollars. Costs don't change. So, so those are those are headwinds today, but they flip. You know, those are what head, what are headwinds become tailwinds. So we've got you know five hundred plus basis points, so five full points of impact on our gross margins from those things that you know are kind of there are no guarantees, but seem pretty likely they'll change. They they'll go back the other way. Inflation that won't stay high forever, and and the dollar was at one to one for a while, and it's on its way back to probably something more moderated. 113s in most people's view, 110s in most people's view of normal. So those are those are probably tailwinds that are coming at some point. We believe it. Inflation's already starting. Currency's already started to, to the dollar's already started to weaken a little bit relative to the, the peaks. And uh, and then on top of that, are things like ocean freight and air freight that were just crazy during the pandemic. And those are definitely coming sure. down. So all those things are, yeah, are going in our favor. Does a, a return of the Chinese economy matter much to you? Uh, you know, it's a, it, it does. It's our second biggest market in the world. And we've always done very, very well in China. Um, it also is the biggest manufacturing site for us in the world, although we've really diversified out of it um, during the, from the time when tariffs started till today. We've got more and more of our manufacturing uh, outside of China and other parts of Southeast Asia, and that will keep spreading. And, and, the, and we have even more capacity to manufacture outside of China if we wanted to. So, I'd say that the China economy is an upside for us, but not really a downside. And you've talked about, uh, at least in the last conference call, you talked about while there may be a pullback uh, industry-wide, in particular in gaming, which is so important, 31% of your business, but uh, in other uh, businesses as well, enterprise-focused fo- fo- businesses included, but you're gaining market share um, amongst uh, these headwinds. Talk to me about why that's happening and what you're doing to, to keep that market share gain. Well, we really started, uh, you know, I started 10 years ago. We, we had always been pretty good at innovation, and we really doubled down on design. We put the user at the center of everything and tried to get the most pop bang for our buck out of our engineering. And we just never let up. We've kept adding uh, design talent, design capability, and, and process. And we've put the user in the center. So our innovation engine is super strong. We win more design awards per revenue dollar probably than any company in tech. And, and I think the result is we have great innovation. And so we, we are consistently gaining share in, in our key categories. And, you know, we're going to keep investing because innovation is our lifeblood. Well, you say that, but you're cutting R&D, not just as a percentage of revenues. You're just flat out cutting R&D, millions of dollars in R&D. Yeah, our, our R&D, though, is up 50% from pre-pandemic. And we cut it uh, last quarter. We dropped it by about 11%, but our total OPEX was down 27, 22%. So we're we're preserving our R and D. We've really invested big time in R and D. We're, you know, as uh, somebody in our past, one of our founders said long ago, you know, you never save the company by saving an engineer, and I agree with that. So we're we're really investing in in uh, engineering at a level we never have before. And where are you doing that physically? Our engineer- all over the world, your headquarters in Silicon Valley, but kind of all over the world. Yeah, we're really all over the world. We have uh, we have a great engineering facility in Switzerland, in Lausanne, and our our our, uh, our headquarters right on Lake Geneva and uh, on, a, on a university campus. We do have a lot in Silicon Valley, Taiwan, and uh, Chennai, India, and a little bit in uh, Cork, Ireland. It's it's the stuff just looks consistently really cool. Well, thank you. You know, we're really we've really worked on that. And, you know, it's, aesthetics are important, but but but. Uh, you know, making the product feel like it really is so intuitively simple and, you know, easy is our primary objective and then also performs better than the alternatives. And we've made so much progress there over the years, Corey. I mean, I'm, I'm really proud of that. 
Yeah, well, I remember all the days of all the drivers and all the Windows system yeah. drivers, even the uh, the <laughs> Apple uh, drivers the downloading every time you got a new device. So much easier than it used to be. So much easier. I mean, now they're almost everything's plug and play, you know. And uh, we have an ongoing debate about maybe they're even too easy. You know, we really do want people to to re have a relationship with us ongoing where they they get in and they, we, they, they share their information with us so we can keep them updated and things. And a lot of our products just are so simple to use. You just plug, you just turn them on and they're working. Um, but I do think that's our goal. Is our, if, in, a, in a perfect world, Logitech would be such that you almost don't realize you have the product in your hand because it's just so intuitive. It feels like an extension of you. So is it is it really just kind of the the anniversary uh, of of some of these um, headwinds that start to turn the business around? I mean, you're getting a sense because I I do think that you're in an interesting place, particularly with enterprise sales, to really get a sense of how much of an economic pullback we're going through right now. The headlines are always headlines, but uh, you see some companies you know getting rid of you know big cuts to their workforce that only put them back at 2022 levels. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I was uh, looking at a chart some some business uh, so, uh, magazine, online magazine showed that it was showing the pullback as a percentage of the total ads for all those tech companies. It, they were very small. I mean, of course, they're hard for the people who lose their roles, but the Surely. boy, the ads are just incredible, you know, and the economy is still quite, quite frothy and you've got a very high employment level. So you, know, you answer, you're asking a specific question. What, ha what, what gets us back on track, you know, back to into growth mode. I would say it's really about, uh, two things. One is, yeah, you've got an anniversary. You got to get through the the pullback that seems to be happening this year relative to last year. But then, then there's the only other question is, what happens to the economy, global economy? Is it is it going to soften from here? Is it going to be kind of stable? If it softens, is it going to soften deeply, or is it going to soften softly? You know, so well, I think we know that's, that's the question. I'm asking you, what's the answer? <laughs> well, I'm not a macroeconomist, but we're preparing for any scenario. You know, our, our general view is. We, we need to be in a position where we're holding or gaining share, where, we're, where our costs are in line with our revenues, and where our innovation engine is hot, is on fire. And as long as we're doing that, you know, we'll, be, we'll do well relative to anything else out there. And our, we're in great categories, so they're going to grow. The question is when? I can't answer that. But when they do grow, we'll be, we'll be the winners, we hope. Bracken Darrell is the CEO of Logitech. Glad to have you join us. Good to see you for, uh, and hear your voice after such a long time. Great to see you, Corey. All right. When the drill down continues, we're going to have the drill down bite. One number that tells us a whole lot about Logitech right after this. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And hey, tell a friend about the drill down podcast. Tell them what you like about the show. Maybe you can help them join our listener base and find out, uh, even leave an, an iTunes review. Let the rest of the world know what it is that you like about the drill down. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we are back with the drill down bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Logitech. Isaac, it's one of the best interviews we've done all day. <laughs> That's what it we is. like to think. Yeah. Love that. Love that, Bracken Daryl. Uh, known him for a long time. I used to have him on Bloomberg. And like, a, as you've heard, we've seen each other around once in a long time. Um, one of their businesses, all of their businesses are, were in decline, as evidenced in the last quarter. One of them, the biggest one, down 16% in 
year over year. You want to guess what that is? Huh. Is it something to do with um, working from home technology? Does that narrow it down? Not enough? really. It's about blowing off work from home. Uh, uh, that 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 bite that sixteen negative sixteen percent number reflects the video game sales. Uh, the video game related oh. products that they sell saw a sixteen percent decline. Uh, as bullish as he was about the sector uh, over the long haul, it was down sixteen percent last quarter. Uh, down to $392 million in the quarter. So a, a big sec segment for them, the largest, um, and indeed not the largest decline of all their segments. But uh, uh, that's a real big pullback in your biggest business uh, and makes for a difficult quarter. But that also sounds like the source of his enthusiasm moving forward. We can only hope for him and all the... Or he, he can only hope. Shareholders. No, I can <laughs> hope for him. I like the guy. All right. I'm totally biased. People nice to me, I tend to like them back sometimes, even if, you know. But in this case, why not? Uh, great stuff uh, from Bracken. We're grateful for his time. We're grateful for your time, dear listener. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. And the Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.